0: Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, we'll hear excerpts from a December 2014 panel discussion convened by the YWCA Tucson called Prison Policy, A Crime Against Our Community. Today's speaker is Carolyn Isaacs, MSW, Program Director of Arizona American Friends Service Committee. She describes some history of US and Arizona prison policy and the impacts on our community. This is part one of a multi-part series. Special thanks to Hillary Eshelman for recording this presentation. Up first, an introduction by YWCA board member, Diane Wilson, followed by Caroline Isaacs.
1: I'm Diane Wilson and I'm a member of the board of directors and also the chair of the advocacy committee here. And I'd like to give you some history of the YWCA because it's a good organization. It's the oldest and largest multicultural women's organization in the world, and its mission is to empower women and eliminate racism. It began in 1860 as a social justice program for women who were working in New York City, and it was a housing program. It later became Traveler's Aid. The YWCA provided a program for Native American women in 1890. It extended services to Japanese American women and girls incarcerated in relocation camps in World War II. It provided the first leadership training for African American women. And the YWCA in Atlanta became the first um, city that offered um, a variety of interracial dining in 1960. The Tucson YWCA provides English as a second language, job search, and leadership training for Latinas. Today, over 2 million people participate in the YWCA, and a number of them are women released from prison. And I'm proud to say that some of them come here, to our YWCA for assistance in getting work. We chose the name for the forum today. We went through many variations of that forum and we decided we wanted to make it strong. Prison policy, a crime against our community because we at the YWCA see the negative effect of current prison policy on individuals, families, and communities I myself became committed to systemic change that I think needs to happen as a result of what I learned when I was offering job search and life skills workshops in two different prisons for women. I met women who wanted to change their lives but had barriers to doing that. These barriers were often a result of our sentencing, prison, and reintegration policies. Many of those barriers I believe we can change and that will be one of the efforts we'll be talking about tonight. Our speakers will discuss their experience and knowledge about prison policy and at the end you'll have a chance to ask questions. Our first speaker is Caroline Isaacs. She's the director of the American Friends Service Committee and has worked for AFSC since 1995. She was 10 when she started. (laughs) Uh, uh. Oh, how it's aged me. Her major focus has been criminal justice issues, conducting original research and advocating for just and effective policy in Arizona. Thank you, Diane, and thank you
2: to the YWCA for um, for having this forum. Right, these are not fun issues to come out on a Wednesday night and and learn about. It's uh, you know it's not the feel good hit of the of the winter time season. But um, I think recent events certainly in this country have heightened our awareness of some of the places where our, our system is, is really broken and failing. Not just communities of color, but really failing all of us. Um, As this is the first of these events, I wanted to really give you like the super macro bird's eye view of how and why the system, I'm doing air quotes, works uh, the way it does or doesn't. Um, And so with that, let's talk about where we're at in the world, right? We all know the United States, we're number one. We put more people behind bars than any other country on the face of this planet, any other country, right? Number one jailer, one in a 100 adults in the United States is behind bars right now, one in a 100 of us. And I would hazard to say some of you may know some of those folks. Um, but what we also don't realize is an extra 4.6 million Are under some form of correctional supervision. They're on probation, they're on parole. Um, They are not technically free, right? These are folks that um, maybe got shorter sentences and were placed on parole, I'm sorry, on probation, have gotten out, and are still under some form of supervision. That's a total of 7 million people in the United States are under some form of correctional control. What we also don't think about is the widening of the net of this system beyond what we think of traditionally as prisoners, right? Folks that are incarcerated for felony offenses. 80,000 youth are held in juvenile residential facilities, and that's not even counting um, some of the youth programs as alternatives, and immigration. Right, which is a whole topic for another forum that hopefully we'll get to. But certainly the population that is being targeted the most in this country right now for criminalization are immigrants coming to this country. And our burgeoning federal system is evidence of that. Um, and I would love to talk more about that another time. So Arizona, where do we fit in this national picture? We're number six. We have the sixth highest incarceration rate in the country and the highest of Western states, and yes, my friends, that counts California, okay? Per percentage of the population. Um, Arizona is is way at the top. So I would be remiss if I um, missed a chance to put this in the context of what we've seen in the past few months in this country because it's on a lot of people's minds and I think it actually does provide a framework to think about some of these issues, right? So after Ferguson and the issue in Staten Island and some of the other um, police brutality cases that have come to light recently, um, people out there in the blogosphere, people on the news channels are debating, is this some you know, gross miscarriage of justice? Were these bad apples? Were these a couple of rogue cops behaving badly? Or is this an indictment of the system? Um, And what I will posit to you um, tonight is that our criminal justice system is not designed to provide justice or safety. Our criminal justice system is designed to keep rich white people in power and to protect them from those that they feel are a threat to their interests. And here's how that happens. There are three key mechanisms to what has created the system of mass incarceration, which is what we are now facing in the United States. Mass incarceration. Not a big prison system, not a little problem. Mass incarceration where like a huge, huge percentage of your population is under some form of control. So the mechanisms for this, one, and the major one, is criminalization. What do I mean by criminalization, what is that? So, um, you know, these, these, these laws that we have in place did not come down on stone tablets from Mount Sinai, right? These are laws that are created by human beings. And if you're a state legislator, anybody? Former, current, that's too bad. I'll be talking to them too. Um, what's your job? Make laws. Make laws, right? You gotta make laws. Is murder already illegal? Yep. yep. Rape already illegal? Yep. You're gonna go away for a long time for things that hurt people? Yep. What are you gonna do? Right? Every issue that pops in the news, everything that people are upset about, everything that people are scared of um, becomes an opportunity for doing the one thing we know how to do, which is making it illegal. Okay? And so, you know, the war on drugs is a perfect example. Is drug use and addiction a public health problem or a criminal act? Public health problem. Right? But that's not a conversation we've had in this country. Okay? It is, now, a criminal act. That's starting to change in some places. Criminalization also, I think, goes back to that issue around immigration that I mentioned. Because every tool in the toolbox from the war on crime and the war on drugs is now being applied to the war on immigrants. Not the war on immigration, the war on immigrants, on those people, because that's who suffers from these laws. That's who's impacted by the laws. So criminalization is taking some behavior that we don't like and making it illegal. Social control is the second, and profitization, I've stopped saying privatization. (laughs) Profitization of punishment. So back to criminalization. The, the kind of saying that I usually refer back to is, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Every social problem we have, everything that makes us uncomfortable, there is one response that we have as a society. There's one place that those legislators and lawmakers consistently go, and we will just prohibit it. We don't like it, don't do it, right? So that's drug addiction, that's mental illness, right? You have people who are behaving in scary or baffling ways in public. And the police respond. Who responds? The police respond to that behavior. And the rest is predictable. Poverty. Right? If you show up in certain southern states and you can't pay your traffic ticket, you'll be placed on for-profit probation. You'll be supervised by a corporation that gets paid by you to supervise you, to collect your money, and to pay them a fee for supervising you. What happens? People go more into debt. They don't pay their fines. They get a warrant out for the rest, and they go to jail because they couldn't pay a traffic ticket. And immigration, as we've talked about. The other piece of criminalization that is absolutely critical, and I really wanna challenge you to think about this in everything that you read and see in the news, is our response to criminal behavior is to focus on individual responsibility rather than our collective community responsibility for that problem. You got a drug problem? You're weak. There's something wrong with you. You need to stop that behavior or we'll punish it out of you, right? Does that work? Mm -hmm. sure doesn't, right? But it's our focus as a culture to blame individuals for these problems and to punish them for them, to punish them for their drug addiction, to punish them for their mental illness, to punish them for their poverty.
0: You're listening to excerpts from a December 2014 panel discussion convened by the YWCA called Prison Policy, A Crime Against Our Community, on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Today's speaker is Caroline Isaacs, MSW Program Director of Arizona American Friends Service Committee. But, I, you know, if, if you can't tell, I'm a little fired
2: up. This is the first public talk I've given since Ferguson and all the rest. And I'm, I'm tired of doing, I'm tired of giving statistics. This is what it is. This is how it works. The criminal justice system, is a system of social control. It's about fear, racism, and greed. Period, y'all. Okay? That which those in power do not understand like mental illness. That, which, that of which they disapprove, such as drug use, or that which they fear like young people of color become a threat. <laughs> become something that must be controlled and suppressed. I know that sounds like a lot, but here's the thing. There is nothing new about this. Nothing new about this in the history of criminal justice, not just in this country, but in other countries. So think about back in jolly old England, right? In the pre-colonial times, let's say I stole your horse. We live in some village somewhere in Nottingham, and I've stolen your horse, sir. And what happens? If we live in some sort of village-based system, the village elders get together and they say, Caroline, you have stolen Sir Diane's horse. Please return it to her. And if you cannot, please repay her for her horse. Right? It was a system built on repairing harm because it was part of a community, of a village system. Then, during the times of you know, the growth of monarchy and, and the control of, you know, sort of imperialist <laughs> systems, your offense, your criminal offense became an offense against the king. It's an offense against the crown. And that is the system that we continue to function under here in this, state, in this country. If I commit an offense, who prosecutes me? The state of Arizona, not Diane. What kind of state does Diane have? if I've stolen her big screen TV? Is she gonna get her TV back? Hell no. Hell no. What's gonna happen? I'm gonna go to jail, right? Or get put on probation. If I stole a lot of stuff from her, I'll go to prison, okay? That's a system we have. It's a system in which the state steps in for the individual, right? It's an offense against the state. If you think about the history of this country, say, after the Emancipation Proclamation and the end of slavery in this country, what did Congress pass? A series of laws called the Black Codes. Who's heard of the Black Codes? Okay, what are the Black Codes? What do they do? It's basically a way to continue to keep segregation and prevent certain rights from people who were recently um, enslaved. It took the exact types of offenses that a recently freed slave would be likely to commit, like stealing a pig from a farm. Made them offenses, made them criminal offenses. Applied such penalties as those folks would be incarcerated on plantations, right? Prisons back in those days were plantations. They actually called them the farm, right? there is nothing new about this, social control of populations that pose a threat to those in power. Think about our immigration law in this country. And this is fascinating if you haven't researched it. Right? Who built the railroads in, in the Great West? Chinese. The Chinese. What happened after they built the railroads? The Chinese Exclusion Act. Yep. Go back to China. Um, who built up this country after the Second World War in the 50s? Braceros from Mexico, came in, worked in the fields. What happened after that? Operation Wetback, I swear to God, that's what it was called. Okay, and mass deportations of people from Mexico. And in the roaring 60s, when there was mass civil unrest, and there was a huge civil rights movement and people were standing up against the power structure in this country, what did Richard Nixon do? He created the war on drugs. He talked about those explosive elements in society that needed to be controlled. And we are still doing that. So,
0: who (laughs) is it affecting?
2: This is Arizona, right? 50% of the people in our state prisons, nonviolent offenders. 21%, the largest single category of offense in Arizona, drug offenders. Since 2006, the number of first-time drug possession and paraphernalia crimes increased, dramatically. And a full 32% of people going in the door to the Department of Corrections are those who have been revoked from parole or probation for technical violations. What's a technical violation of parole or probation? It's not committing a new crime while you're on probation. It's fraternization if you're not supposed to be around certain people, if you don't show up, if you have a dirty drug test. Those are technical violations. They can send you actually back to prison for that. 32% of the people going in the door <coughs> to the Department of Corrections is for that. We're talking about people with substance abuse issues. 75%. And this is the Department of Cor- Corrections' own numbers. They think 75% of their prisoners need substance abuse treatment. So you know it's a lot higher than that. How many of them are getting it? 6.6%. And, and that's like that's drug education. That's like you take a little multiple choice test on a computer. Are drugs bad? Should you not do that? Oh, yeah. that that's drug treatment for DOC. Yeah. Um, Mentally ill prisoners, a little over 9,000, 23%, are assessed by the Department of Corrections as needing, basically needing some kind of medication, right? You know it's higher than that. And of course, the system is racist. Beat after me. The system it is, is racist, racist, right? People of color are disproportionately members of our prison system to their percent of the population, right? Anglos are 73% of the Arizona population. We are now 39% of state prisoners. For the first time, Latinos are actually the largest prison population, 40% compared to 29.6% of the general Arizona population. African-Americans smokes, right? Like 4% of the state population, 13% of state prisoners. And Native Americans are also overrepresented. Now this is state prisons, right? If you look in the federal system, Native Americans are even more disproportionately impacted there because federal law applies to reservations. So what's going on in terms of the actual mechanisms, right? I talked a lot about this context for you and some very challenging ideas about what's really going on culturally in this country to create the system that we have. Here's, where, here's how it works in practice every day, right? And this is the stuff that you've probably heard about. Mandatory sentencing, right? You've probably heard the term mandatory minimums, right? Who's heard of mandatory minimums? Yeah. Okay. Well, mandatory minimums are really just one slice of a larger category called mandatory sentencing. Um, And in Arizona, that is just like peppered throughout the criminal code. Mandatory minimums are usually applied to drugs, right? So uh, if you have X amount of X drug, you get X time in prison. The mandatory means that the judges have no say in that decision. The judges cannot judge, they cannot do their jobs because the sentences are Mandatory. They are set by the legislature, not the judicial branch. In Arizona, we have something called sentence enhancements that are also extremely problematic. So that just ratchets up the amount of time you're going to get based on certain other factors that may have been present in whatever crime you committed. Right. So you were within x hundred feet of a school when you sold that, those rolling papers or whatever. Um, that you had a weapon in your possession, even if you never showed it to anybody, never waved it at anybody, and certainly never discharged it at anyone. The other thing in Arizona that's extremely problematic is how we consider priors. What's a prior? Previous offense. A previous offense, which most of us think means you committed a crime, you went to prison, you got out, you committed another offense. Not in Arizona. In Arizona, you could walk down the street, break into a car, walk down the street, break into another car. The first car is a prior and they will count that at sentencing. So now you're going to get a harsher penalty based on a prior. um, That is not, that is really anomalous in this country. Most sentencing statutes do not treat those kinds of things as priors, but we do. And of course, drugs, Uh, drug, 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 drugs. The other thing that came along in the 90s was this thing called truth and sentencing. Who's heard of truth and sentencing? No, okay. Mm -hmm. So we used to have this thing called parole, right? Parole is like you get sentenced to like eight to 10 years, and at eight years you go before the parole board and you say, I took these classes, and I did my drug treatment, I haven't gotten any tickets, and the parole board would consider you for release. We don't do that anymore. That does not happen anymore. Okay, in place of that, we put in this thing called truth and sentencing, which means that everybody, salute, will serve 85% of their sentence. Good, bad, or indifferent, you could be a Boy Scout, you could call your mama every day, Um, you could have had absolutely spotless record in prison and done every education program presented to you, which is not that much anymore, and it does not matter. And this is nonviolent, violent, serious offenses. Everybody serves 85%. That's very unusual in this country. A lot of states did truth in sentencing. They did it at 65%, and they usually applied it to serious and violent offenses only. Arizona, it's 85% across the board. So that creates a bottleneck, right? So you have all these people going in, and nobody's getting out, right? They're serving longer and longer sentences in there, and that population balloons up. Drug laws, too, are very harshly treated in Arizona. We do have Prop 200, which is a wonderful thing that you, the voters, passed several times because they thought you didn't mean it the first time. Right, which is to say that first and second time, drug possession, should, those people should not go to jail. They should get treatment. The voters said that. And so we have that. However, um, the rest of our drug laws are a mess. And one of the particular problems is that we treat everybody, I mean, almost all drug offenses are a class two felony. That's one felony class below first degree murder. Okay. Class two is a very serious felony. And one of the groups of people that falls into this are people who are selling small amounts of drugs to support their own habits, right? Which a lot of folks do who are addicts, right? You could be selling a very small amount, you're still gonna get hit with a class two felony and you're gonna get a lot of time. Um, So it doesn't go by the amount in the same way as it does in other states. And as you know, what's behind all of this? We still are clinging to this tough on crime sort of rhetoric Legislators still believe this is the system that you want. That's what they think. They think that the voters in, in Arizona um, want everybody to go to prison for everything. <laughs> um, and they also don't care what the rest of the country has done because the rest of the country is changing this stuff. The rest of the country is very deliberately reducing their prison populations through um, very well tested uh, sentencing reform. But in Arizona, we don't care what anybody else does. What do they know in you know, South Carolina or Mississippi or Texas or wherever? Um, of course, immigration enforcement is a big driver and the for-profit prison industry, which uh, again could be a whole other talk, um, but their influence in terms of uh, what happens at the legislature, their sway with politicians in the state is extremely strong. The good news is, as I mentioned, this is changing. Here in Arizona, too, um, but definitely elsewhere, the majority of US states have begun to change this stuff around. To say, you know, it's like they woke up from this headache in the 90s, like, oh, man. I, whoa. We can't afford this prison system. What are all these guys doing in jail, right? This stuff is extremely expensive. And so when, when the economy crashed, A lot of states started rethinking these policies because they just straight up can't afford it. Um, These prisons are extremely costly to run and staff. So uh, many states have reduced their prison populations and have seen better drops in their crime rates. I mean, all states have seen a drop in crime, right? Um, But in New York, for example, they repealed the Rockefeller Drug Law and had a greater significant drop in crime than we did in Arizona while we were getting tough. We are doing stuff on this. AFSC, actually we work with a lobbyist at the Arizona State Legislature. Um, We work with legislators discussing these issues and and pushing, pushing, pushing every year. Um, So far for like little bites at the apple, things around um, pretrial diversion programs, uh, mental health courts we've been very successful with. Um, And we're always trying to push that conversation around what can Arizona do to get on board with the very good tested results that other states have seen. Um, So thank you so much for your time. I've got a sign-up sheet over here. You've
0: been listening to excerpts from a December 2014 panel discussion convened by the YWCA called Prison Policy, A Crime Against Our Community on 30 Minutes. 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Today's speaker was Caroline Isaacs, MSW Program Director of Arizona American Friends Service Committee. This has been part one of a multi-part series. Special thanks to Hillary Eshelman for recording this presentation. I'm Amanda Schager. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson.